We came a number of years ago for a friend who got married here and his wife way back then, probably about 20 odd years ago probably. Not that long, okay. Um, detail, I'm not interested. Um, and then I actually preached here a, a few years ago, a long time ago, so uh, it's a real joy to be back again to be with you. Um, so we're based at Guildford, so I've been there a few years, but before that we were at Hawley Baptist Church, um, which is it's still in Surrey, so we haven't moved very far. Um, but right by Gatwick Airport, that Hawley, so some people confuse it with other Hawleys, it's that Hawley right by Gatwick. We were there for 11 years and had a wonderful time there, wonderful wonderful church and in some ways great sadness to feel it was time to move on but we did uh, but before that originally i'm from suffolk i don't know if there's any suffolk people here Have we got any anybody been to suffolk anybody know where suffolk is okay right that's a star it's near norfolk we will declare independence once scotland get that through it's east anglia will be next and the republic of um we will break away and uh, actually someone said lowestoft which is right out on the east someone said do you know where the nearest motorway to Lowestoft is. It's in Holland, apparently. That's how <laughs> obscure and out there it is. It's just beautiful, so delightful and slow. My parents still live there. Um, we've got three children, um, and it's a good year for a big year for us. So it's a big wedding anniversary for us. Um, 25. And um, my eldest Hannah's 21 and 18 and 16. Cameron is 18 this year and 16. So it's a, a good year for us. But it's a delight to be with you. We're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible, got access to a Bible, uh, if you've memorized it, then you can recall it. But John chapter 17, and we're going to read the whole chapter through. And John chapter 17 is the, if you like, the culmination, the the last few chapters, uh, really from chapter 14, well, 13 actually, the kind of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and this the setting which is more familiar in other gospels is the last supper although john interprets it and narrates it tells the story if you like very differently um but we're coming to the culmination if you like of that gathering on the eve if you like and the next thing for jesus is the cross and all that that will bring for him and he turns after he had said these things, the first line, after he had said these things, so this is what's often called the farewell discourse or the farewell teaching of Jesus, the farewell speech of Jesus. And I actually have, does anybody have a red letter Bible? I've got a red letter Bible. It's just littered. Most of it's in red, all those chapters before. This is all Jesus speaking, and now he prays. So after he said this, he, Jesus, looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. 
and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your, of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world." My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself might be in them. Amen. Amen. It's a remarkable, remarkable prayer. It's kind of there to blow your socks off, but it's difficult to get lost in all the language. I in them, you in me, us together and... But it's Jesus' prayer for his church. It's Jesus' prayer for his people. I don't know if you remember the first time anyone actually prayed for you. Maybe you've grown up in church and um, you've always used to people praying and praying for you. And, but that wasn't my experience. I remember vividly um, to this day, I didn't grow up in a Christian home particularly and went away to university and um, was invited along to a, an evangelistic Christian union meeting by a non-Christian friend of mine, who actually at that point, on that Saturday afternoon, was more interested in Christianity than I was, and the meeting was that Saturday night. But he wanted some company, didn't want to go alone. Those Christians can be a little scary and intimidating and weird. 
So he wanted a fellow pagan to come with him to make him feel secure and safe. And I was suitable um, fodder for that. And I, I was interested as well. So we went along. And anyway, cut a long story short, uh, there was a, a, an appeal at the end of that evening and I put my hand up, which surprised me, frightened the life out of me, surprised a bunch of people as well. He didn't respond, which is interesting and another story. But I wasn't ready to commit myself. Not there and then. And I'd uh, be put under pressure. I knew it was a big decision and needed to think about it a little bit more. And about an hour later, I was back in my uh, room, student room, student accommodation, and Duncan came to see me. Duncan was a Christian. He was on the course I was doing. I was a P, trained as a PE teacher. We were PE uh, students together. And um, he said, Rob, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? <laughs> no one had ever, 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 ever done that for me before. And in the mystery of that evening for me where I came to faith, he said, I want to pray for you. And I closed my eyes and he prayed for me and it just, just took me away. To know that someone prays for you every day is the most remarkable remarkable thing. In my previous church, we had a wonderful, wonderful man called Frank Borner. He's the kind of older man, never married, faithful servant of the church, had never been part of any other church in his life. And he grew up in that church, and it didn't matter what ministers came and went and what troubles they brought or left behind. He would always be there, and he would always be part of the life of that church. He fell in love in his 20-somethings, um, the, the rumor has it with Frida. Frida then went on. It was all the time of the war. She married somebody else and it broke his heart in that sense. And there was no one else for him. And so the rest of his life, he remained single. And he was faithful in the life of that church um, and lived on into his late 80s. But he told me one day when I went to visit him, he said, Rob, do you do know that I pray for you? Guy, my colleague at the time, he said, I pray for you every day. Pray for you every day. It is something to know that there is somebody who prays for you every day. This is this prayer. It is the prayer that is prayed in heaven for the people of God, for you and for me, for those who have come to believe that Jesus Christ was sent from God, was sent from the Father, and we have come to believe and to trust in that truth. An eternal life is not to score well on a theology quiz and not to be able to answer the right things to those doctrinal questions. Eternal life is to know Jesus Christ and the Father who sent him and the Spirit that lives within us. This, this is eternal, eternal life. And this is is the heart of this prayer. Some churches have a strap line to know God and to make him known or to know Jesus and to make him known. That's this prayer. That's all we are. That's all we are about. To know God and to make him known. To know Jesus and to make him known. This prayer is prayed over us all the time. 
And when Jesus prayed this prayer, when he first prayed this prayer, and up until this point, you've got to remember that in those chapters leading up to, and all those red-letter edition Bibles, if you've got the words of Jesus in red, all that red, 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 red up until this point, all of this has been directed at the disciples. All of these instructions. Trust in me, trust also in God. In my Father's house are many, many dwellings. Don't panic, don't worry, it's going to be fine. That sort of stuff. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will send the counselor. He will come and be amongst you. And This world will hate you, and you're going to have problems, etc., etc., but take heart and... But now at this point, Jesus turns away from instructing his disciples and he turns and he lifts his eyes to heaven. He turns his little rude, no. He turns his back on his disciples because he knows that in the life of all of these instructions, mere instruction, mere religious instruction, just giving you a tick list of things and some handy hints about being how to be a good Christian is never going to do it. That unless all of this is taken up and lifted in worship to heaven, then it's religious games. But when earth and heaven connect, Jesus is here at the pivot point. It's why it's called the, often called the, the high priestly prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Do you know what a priest, the priest in the Old Testament, the understanding of a priest today, Baptists, we're good, we don't have priests, so we have pastors or ministers, and don't get away from those iffy, priestly denominations, etc., etc. But those, there is a priestly role. The role of the priest is, if you like, is, is to intercede, to stand between. So the, it is through the priest that God is represented to the people or presented to the people. So the priest speaks to the people on behalf of God and then speaks on behalf, to God on behalf of the people. The priest acts in that kind of go-between, hinge, pivot role. Which makes it fascinating when the church is called the priesthood of all believers. That the world now has a priest. And that's us. That the role of the church is to present God to the world. To bring the ways of God and the commands and the laws and the good news of God to the world. And as we did earlier in our intercessions and in other ways to bring the needs of the world to God. It's the priestly role, that's what we do. And Jesus at this point is now the hinge, the pivot, the connection between this little, can I say bunch of weirdos? Band of fragile disciples, you'd look at them and you'd think, not a chance. And he turns to the Father and he says done it. I've done it. Those that you gave me, Peter, John, James, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, I can never remember all the names. It's a quiz question I'm never going to win. Judas, the one who would betray him, here they are. I have glorified you. They are yours. You gave them to me. And here they are. Here it is. They have come to believe that I am the Christ, that I have been sent from you. This 
is the church. This is the presence of God on earth. This is the hope of the world. And on the eve of the cross, that is the next thing. He prays this prayer. It's not the agonizing prayer of Gethsemane, which you get in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Lord, if there's any other way that this can happen, Lord, but not my will, but yours be done. And he sweat drops of blood and the pain and agony. And can't you stay awake with me? Don't you know how painful for me this is? And this is not that Gethsemane prayer. This is John's final prayer for Jesus. This is a prayer of intimacy, a prayer of confidence, a prayer for this community of disciples that he is going to leave in the world. He's going to leave them, but not leave them alone. And he is going to hand over responsibility, responsibility that he was given. You gave them to me. I've taken that responsibility. Now it's back to you. They're yours. They're yours. And they could be left in no better hands than in the hands of the Father. And so he prays this prayer. This extraordinary, extraordinary prayer. I wonder what you would say if Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to pray for you? Because not Jesus praying for you is, I mean, it's one thing. Having the more godly members of the congregation, there's certain people you're hoping they're praying for you and have a good track record on these things. But Jesus prayed for me. What would I put on my list of things that I'd want Jesus to pray for me? Well, maybe or not I do well in my exams, in my job, and have good health, and maybe get married one day, or if not, that I'd have a fulfilling life, or that if I have children, that they're healthy, and that they're happy, or that I have a nice house to live in, a nice car to drive around in, and live a relatively free and troubled life, and I'd have one of those lists, you know, those bucket lists, things you must do before you, it used to be before you're 40, now it's 50, and now it's 60, and now the irresponsible retired are doing all kinds of mad and crazy things, bungee jumping, it seems to know no age limit whatsoever, and skydiving, and maybe I can do all of those things as well before my days are ended. Jesus, would you pray for me for those, and success and peace, and just that my life would be. Well, that's not really what Jesus prays for you. He prays a prayer. He prays this prayer that is the prayer that defines the church. It describes the church. It shapes the church here. Because the curious thing about this is that Jesus turns away from his disciples, turns to his father, prays this prayer. And John at that point could have said, having given all these of these instructions, Jesus pray, turned to his father and prayed, and then they sung a hymn and went off from the Mount of Olives and something like that. But we, we wouldn't know the content of the prayer because there are times when Jesus prays, but we don't know what he prays. But on this one, we do know. We are invited to overhear the prayer. We are meant to hear the, in the intimacy and the closeness and the oneness of this, we are meant to hear this prayer. This prayer for us. And there seem to be five things that are the substance of this prayer that he prays for us. First and foremost, he prays that they would be protected. 
that they would be protected from the evil one. That there is evil in this world. Some of us would rather you pray, take the evil one away, and so we're going to live a happy and peaceful life. But Jesus says, no, I want you, Father, to protect them from the evil one. And that protection from the evil one is the same as the protection that Jesus had by the Father from the evil one. And you've got to remember that the next thing that happens is a cross. And before that, a trumped-up trial and false accusation and beatings. And so the protection that Jesus prays for is not a pain-free life, but a sustained-in-the-presence-of-God life. That in the midst of suffering, these people will be held in the purposes of God and that there will always be the presence of the church on the face of the earth and evil will not overcome. And this community of people will not be obliterated off the face of the earth. That we are held by the Father in the midst of persecution and suffering. The church is held. The church is guarded by God. Father, protect them from the evil one. May they know that they will not be overcome by evil, but there is one who is their Father who guards and watches over them. That's why we pray. The first line, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Father, protect them. Protect them from the evil one. May they never be overcome. Secondly, he prays that we would be sanctified. We would be a sanctified people. The word simply means to be set apart for a holy purpose, for a special purpose. That the life of this community would reflect the distinctiveness of the call of God upon our lives and the spirit who lives within us. That in a world, and so often sadly, a church that wants to be acceptable to the world and relevant to the world and trendy with the world and with it and all of those sorts of things, that Jesus prays that there would be a sanctity in the life of this church, in the life of his church, that all that is opposed to the ways of God would hate and despise. But all of those who are turned towards God and are looking for a Savior, who are looking for a Father, who are looking for understanding and meaning, who are looking for hope in a world that despises them, would find it here. In this people, sanctified in the way that Jesus was sanctified, set apart in the way that Jesus was set apart, friend of tax collectors and sinners, an enemy of the self-righteous and the pompous and the religious. That this community would be a holy community where Jesus is present. Thirdly, he prays that we would be a united community, that we would be one. Get this. 
because Jesus and the Father are one. Not a pale imitation. Not a let's see how they get on with that. Let's see how kind of nice they can be with each other and so we get the veneer, the appearance of oneness. But they, they might be one as Jesus and the Father are one, that the closeness and the intimacy and the eternal distinctiveness of that relationship would define the oneness in the life of the church. So often the oneness of the church, the unity of the church, sometimes we go for, well, let's have people like us. Because people like us get on with people like me. And I like to get on with people like me because I get on with them more easily than people not like me. Because people a lot like me are a little harder work. Because they have different values and they come from different places and they have different ways and funny ways and odd ways. And it's so much easier if they're all like me and we can be united. And Jesus says that's got nothing, absolutely nothing to do with church. Some unity is based on kind of. Um, what you might call organizational effectiveness or efficiency. That look at the oneness of the church. Look how smooth it moves. Look, they all come in together all at the same time and they all stand up together all at the same time and they all go out together all at the same time and they all drink tea and coffee all together all at the same time. And everybody's on the rotor and everybody's on time when the rotor comes up and nobody doesn't show up and what is splendid the oiled machine. I think my car's just been delivered. And so we are united in the efficiency of this. Everything's perfect. The musicians get it right, hit the right notes all the time, and it smoothly wends its way through the service. And This is not the unity of the church. This is not the unity of the Father. Some people go for unity because we all agree doctrinally and we all tick the same boxes and we all agree the same things on whatever it might be. And so we don't have any dissent and any different opinions and things like that. And well, there is a unity that transcends all of those things and leaves all of those things behind. A unity that comes from a people born from above, amongst whom the Spirit dwells, who find the model, the dream, the vision of their oneness, in the relationship between the Father and the Son and will settle for nothing less. That we might be united, that we might be protected, sanctified, united, that we might be effective. That we might be effective. And what he prays is this. And if those last three things have really blessed you, get this one that as these, this group of disciples, these first disciples, have recognized in the face of Jesus the Father who sent them, and Jesus himself says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and they have come to believe this and to accept that Jesus has come from God and Jesus is. Well, Jesus is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the word came and, as one translator put it, moved into the neighborhood, dwelt amongst us. And we 
And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. They have seen this in Jesus. And now Jesus prays the most extraordinary prayer because he's saying, I'm no longer going to be on earth because I'm about to go back to heaven. And so the only place where those in the world can find the face of God is now here. Is now here. He prays for those who will come to know that Jesus has come from the Father and he prays that they will see it in those who have come to know and who have come to believe. And that is the effectiveness of the church and that is the extraordinary miracle of the church. That here today in this place is revealed to those who may yet believe the Father who is in heaven, who sent the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, and now, by the Spirit, empowers us to be his people. That the church may be the means by which people encounter Christ. And so finally he prays that therefore they would be a hopeful people a people full of hope, not a vague hope, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow hope, but a sure and certain hope, a hope that holds, a hope that on the worst day of your life can still break through and in the shattered fragments of whatever you're going through that the light of heaven will shine through. Just read it in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. And somehow geography has disappeared and time has now disappeared and in this prayer, which physically was located almost certainly in this garden with these disciples listening in, now Jesus in his prayer is now in heaven and he is with his Father and he is home. And his prayer is that they too will one day know that that is their destiny as well, that that is where they will be. That is the hope that will hold them in their darkest hour and in their most glorious day. But one day, but today is not the final day. There is yet a day, as the song says, that all creation is waiting for. And on that day, we will see him face to face and we will know even as we are fully known and we will be home forever in the glory and the presence of the Father and the Son with the Spirit dwelling together in all eternity.
that there is a future and a hope that holds us each day, that means that we never give up, that God has taken hold of us to fulfill all that he has promised and all that Jesus has prayed for us. This is a very significant prayer for us today and every day. To know that it is these things, that we are a protected people, that we are this sanctified people, a united people. That somehow in the weakness and the awkwardness of church, God continues to reveal himself to a lost and dying world. And people still come to faith and find Christ amongst his people. And that in a world that is dying and has no hope and no purpose and no meaning that can really sustain itself in the misery so often of human experience, that here, here, in the church of Jesus Christ, here in those who have come to believe, there is hope, there is faith, and there is love. The love that unites the Father and the Son and the love that unites us and the love that now sends Jesus to the cross and the love that will never die that will never fade. And so what this means is that when I go to bed tonight and you go to bed tonight and you fall asleep that the church remains in good hands. that you remain protected, that we remain protected, that God is doing his sanctifying work amongst us, that we are being united and knit together, that people continue to find Jesus Christ, that the hope has not died, the flame still burns brightly, and that this task is in God's hands and not ours. It is his responsibility and not ours. That the burden of the future of the church does not rest on me or on you, but it has been given back by Jesus to the Father. And he is much better at this than we are. And so we can sleep at night knowing that the church is in good hands and the gospel is perfectly safe and secure and that all the world would throw, all that stands against God, would come against us, will not prevail, will not win by any stretch of the imagination at all. That we are the community for whom Jesus prays. And so we can sleep and we can rest. The question is, that when I wake up tomorrow morning, when you wake up tomorrow morning, to what extent will that prayer be answered 
in your life tomorrow and in my life tomorrow and in our life together tomorrow, to what extent do we take hold of that prayer and continue to be living, breathing, flesh and blood answer to that prayer? This is our calling. This alone is our destiny. This is who we are wherever we go, whatever this week holds for us. We remain the people that Jesus prayed for and the people who live our lives as answers to that prayer. Amen. Silence. Allow the Spirit to search your heart and your mind, to recall to you the things that your soul needs to hear, your mind needs to understand, that your spirit needs to be enlivened with, to find peace and rest, to find assurance. that in the chaos and madness of this world, and for those here this morning who are facing difficult times, that Jesus prays for you and continues to pray for you, that he has entrusted into the Father your care, your life, your life today, your life tomorrow, and your eternal life. And so all, all will be well. And all will be well. And all will be well. Father, we thank you for one another. We thank you for the extraordinary calling that you have placed upon our lives. While we were yet sinners and far from God, Jesus came into our world and died for us so that we might be caught up into the wonder and mystery of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity and to all eternity the mystery and glory and union of that relationship of love, of intimacy, of mutuality and wonder. Father, we are aware of our weakness and our sinfulness. The Lord, your love, And your grace overwhelms us once again. And we turn to you, the one who prays for us. Plead for me that I might simply be a disciple of Jesus Christ.
faithful to the end. Amen.